Hi, this is the redheaded preacher of St. Peter's United Church of Christ in Skokie, sitting in the Sunday School Chapel of St. Peter's before worship begins, thinking about how in this room, in when we had, had chapel here, um, and we will again, when we had chapel here before going to Sunday School classes, uh, what seeds of faith may have been planted and nurtured through the songs we sing, the prayers that have been offered, which the kids uh, and their parents, you know, give me prayer requests, and the lessons that I've tried to uh, convey to them and with them. And then I thought about the passage for today, the Luke 18 passage, and how whatever they learned in their early life may have had an impact on how they approach God in prayer. Uh, or not. I think it's possible that uh, how they do approach God in prayer in the parable could be a reflection of what they learned. And uh, that's speculation, but it's what I'm thinking of sitting here in the chapel knowing that uh, I've got a sermon coming up and a worship service to lead the highlight of my week. And the sermon, as you know, is called The Approach. I hope you find something of value in it, as I certainly found value in writing it and preaching it, as I will do shortly. Once again, I'm going to ask you to bow with me in a quick word of prayer, or at least uh, join me in the spirit of prayer. Holy One, we give you thanks for the gift of prayer and for opening our way of access to you through it by your Son. Move your spirit, we humbly ask, as I preach and as people listen and as it's even put together, edited, and published for distribution, that your spirit work to promote the message of the reign of God and the realm of God and how we are to live with you and with each other as members, as citizens in the kingdom of God. This blessing we ask in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Our lecture today is our church president, Jennifer Schneider, and you'll hear her voice next. Our first reading is that very epistle that I mentioned. It is 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, and then the writer remembers some persecution he underwent in verses 16 through 18 as the letter is wrapped up. Paul writes, as for me, I am already being poured out as a libation, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. From now on, there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give, on me, give me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood by me and gave me strength, so that through me this message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and save me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. This ends the reading from 2 Timothy. 
Our second reading is also our gospel lesson. It is Luke chapter 18, picking up right where we left off last Sunday, verses 9 through 14. Jesus, <clears throat> excuse me, Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and disregarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all of my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all those who humble themselves will be exalted. Here ends the reading of the gospel and the scriptures for this morning's service. May God grant us a wise and joyful understanding of this, the word of the God of life for the life of the people of God. Not long ago, I began a sermon talking about the importance placed on how one enters a room with people in it, especially a new person given authority, like a new pastor, for the first time. What's her or his approach? What is their demeanor? Where do they gravitate? And do they circulate? It's important as part of first impressions. And this is far from the only scenario where you, how you draw near to someone has an impact. I used to work for County Seat, selling Levi's and other casual clothing. We were not on commission, but nevertheless, it was generally a good idea to greet the customer, but do not hover. Let her look around before asking if you can help. Few people warm up to an aggressive salesperson. Unless they're in a hurry, they know what they want, just not where to find it. And they'll let you know that, generally. Now, today's parable in Luke is not about first impressions or retail sales, but is very much about the approach folks have in praying to God. What's his or her or our demeanor? And why? For in prayer, it's not just how we draw near, but what kind of heart is behind how we draw. What is the content of our prayers, which also come from the heart and mind that we bring before the Lord? All of this is lifted up in the gospel lesson Jennifer read for us. It starts out as a not this, but this parable. Interesting that Jesus does not tell this to his disciples necessarily, but, to quote the beginning, to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. He's quite direct. And right away, we may be tempted to say or tell ourselves, well, that's not me. That's not you all. I just wonder if the Pharisee figure in the story would also disagree that he was like this caricature. Do I fool myself? Or am I indeed preaching to the converted? 
Jesus told the parable all the same. The approach Jesus was going to place judgment on was, in fact, one of self-righteousness and contempt for others. First, as a Pharisee who felt this need for purity, he stands by himself. Not in community or solidarity with another Jewish man he sees off to the side. He comes to God with what appears to be thanksgiving, but where it goes leads me to wonder if this is even a prayer at all. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. There is the contempt for others. The prayer sounds like one of thanks, but it really sounds like one of self-serving comparison. Absent is any sense of there but for the grace of God go I. Absent is any humility. When Jonathan Edwards, the theologian and pastor of the early half of the 1700s, would see someone in sin, he wrote that he used that as an opportunity to reflect on his own falling short and not on condemning or judging the other person or patting himself on the back for being holier. Just used as an opportunity to look at his own shortcomings. Next comes the Pharisee's self-congratulatory approach to God, which lays out the why and how of him being better. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. Now, the Torah calls for fasting once a week. It was done sometimes Mondays and Thursdays, my study Bible said, so twice a week is not unheard of. So, but he seems to be one-upping the minimum, and he's tithing. That's also in the law. Reminds me of that tough verse a few weeks ago we heard when Jesus said, So you also, when you have done all that you were ordered to do, say we have only done what we ought to have done. Plus one more fasting a week. Look at me, God. I am a righteous dude. Oh, so righteous. Spiritual arrogance. Pride. Whatever you want to call it, Jesus calls it out. Don't be that God. Don't allow that to be your or my approach to God. It will not get us right with God. No. I remember something John Lawyer, one of my Bethel College professors, said. Anyone who thinks he does not have anything to confess is self-righteous. And that puts him right back there at the top again. George Caird wrote, please pardon the male noun and pronouns, no man can genuinely place himself in the presence of the holy God and still congratulate himself on his own piety. And this means that piety can become a barrier between man and God. I almost titled this sermon, Who the Heck Do You Think You Are? The approach to God that Jesus praises is a humble one. And part of humility is understanding that we get to achieve what we may have achieved with the help of others. Former Vikings running back Robert Smith wrote that after scoring a running touchdown, who do you see the running back go to to hug first in the end zone? The offensive linemen and blockers who made that run possible. 
Humility remembers none of us got where we are without assistance along the way. We all stand on someone's shoulders by the grace of God. And it is by the grace of God you and I are able to grow spiritually, to minister effectively, to have the patience and courage to do our best despite obstacles. As Dr. Brian Moran, the lead surgeon in my brachytherapy 10 years ago said, when he found out I was a minister, that's great, he said. I wouldn't be anything without God. As far as what's behind the Pharisees' fatal flawed, fatally flawed approach to God and prayer, his arrogance and judgmentalism, what's behind it? Well, speculation is always just that, speculation. And something we do with humility when we engage in it with the Bible. Something else George Caird wrote that was that the, um, the man's trust, meaning the Pharisee's trust, was in his own righteousness and religious achievement. And the inevitable result is that he despises those who fail to meet his own standard. And that led me to think that people who hold themselves to a high standard or even perfection often hold those around them to those high standards too. I relate to that. But is it fair for the Pharisee to do that? Not everyone was born with the advantages or a privilege he pretty clearly had. You know, most Pharisees were quite well off. How else could they take off work so often to learn all that the Pharisees learned to be seen as authorities along with the scribes. Perhaps the Pharisee worked so hard to be so good because that's how he sought to overcome low self-esteem. And if one does suffer from low self-esteem, one way to feel better about oneself is to look with contempt or judgment on others who do not meet the moral standards of that person. And we may not even realize that's what's happening if we are the ones who find ourselves doing it. Don't even, why are you doing this? We'll have to dig a little deeper. Like I said, speculation. But when the approach needs some change, when the approach to our Lord and Savior needs transformation or just an upgrade, it will not happen in a lot of cases without some self-inventory. What's behind my need? to tell God how good I've been. Am I afraid? What's the cure for that? Trusting the grace of God is. The tax collector. The tax collector had an altogether humble approach. He did not thank God for how righteous he was. He knew the score too well. He did not look down on anyone else. He stood far away, as if he did not deserve to draw any nearer. He did not even look up to heaven, as if he was un too unworthy to face the heavens. He did not have any practiced confession or, or anything wrote out, written out for him. Just the simple, and phys the simple physical and out loud prayer, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He beat his chest as a form of lament and grief over how he has let God down. And I see that kind of beating of the breast as a form of praying with your body. 
Just like I see when people make the sign of the cross and they're actually thinking and invoking the passion of Christ for their sakes. That's a prayer with part of the body. So unlike the Pharisee, the tax collector knew what he needed. Mercy. He had done enough of an inventory to understand how he had gone against God's laws or God's will. Perhaps he came to see how he had hurt other people without realizing it or how he hurt others intentionally. He had come to see and know his spiritual bankruptcy. He got his need. He understood his need. He got it. He came to the only one who could mend and heal his soul and life. He trusted God to hear his prayer and hopefully, perhaps, forgive him as he asked. You and I may have heard the description or definition of humility as not to think less of yourself, but to think of yourself less. From my research, that is not from C.S. Lewis, as commonly thought, but from Rick Warren. I do not think that description fits the humility we see in the approach of the tax collector. There is another way to describe humility, and that is, as I've said in the past, it comes from uh, one of the former staff, uh, a clergy colleague in the Chicago Metro Association of the United Church, Edward Good. And he said, humility is what enables us to receive what God has for us. Humility enables us to receive what God has to give us. What this man in the parable wanted God to give him was a hearing of his confession and mercy. If you and I are not humble, if we do not acknowledge our need for God's mercy or grace, how is God going to give it to us? How will we receive it if our hands are not open asking? How could God give it to the Pharisee? Our friend, George Caird, wrote of the tax collector. He has done the one thing that God requires of those who seek access to him. He has faced the truth about himself and cast himself on God's compassion. As we sang, just as I am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou biddest me come to thee. To reach a point of genuine humbleness, to have a heart and mind for the approach, you and I and anyone else need to be rigorously honest. We have faults. We make mistakes. Sometimes there are mistakes of commission, what we do that we should not do, and of omission, what we do not do but we should have done. Of many, if not most of these, you and I are already self-aware. Maybe someone has changed, though, how they relate to us. They open up less or not at all anymore, or they trust us less, or they just out and out bail. What happened? Rigorous honesty in self-inventory leading to humbleness might ask, what might I have done or left undone that triggered these changes in the relationship? Did I hurt this person who has hurt me without maybe even knowing it? Or is it possible that it has nothing to do with me? 
And it's my ego being afraid or trying to control everything. Maybe that's the issue. To tell a personal story, when Maureen, my serious girlfriend from seminary, broke up with me before my senior year, and she had graduated, she told me why. How I had disappointed her, what I did wrong, and so on. It was a humbling learning experience. As a 23-year-old guy, I had no idea this was the case, but I could not argue with her. She was right. I realized I was not who I thought I was. My self-image took a real hit. And then a year or so ago, I ran across a letter from her, which was before the breakup, and she mentioned how she was upset at something I said and did over the phone. I could not believe I had acted that way. That's not me, but it was. So you and I can find ourselves needing humility and God's mercy even when we're not aware of it until someone tells us or we do a solid reflection on ourselves. That approach, one without righteousness before God or others, is the approach Jesus applauds. We need God's grace. It's commendable to admit our need and ask for it perhaps like the tax collector, in a full-throated, transparent-before-God manner. It's not only okay. Jesus teaches this humbleness is how we return to right relationship with God if we are not at that time. It's how we would be justified, unlike the self-righteous, judgmental Pharisee, who did not go back to his house justified. We receive the mercy we ask for, James says, draw near to God, and God will draw near to you. First Peter affirms, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that God may exalt you in due time. Cast all your anxieties upon him, for he cares for you. We are reminded of just who it is we are about to speak with when we pray. Our approach to God in prayer and life can make a positive impact on how you and I and St. Peter's relate to everybody else. We know our need, our errors, perhaps we are too aware of them, and receive what we need from our loving, compassionate Jesus Christ. We have received mercy. Let us show mercy. We got honest with ourselves if we needed to, and with God, we got honest with God. We get better at being honest with others. Judgmentalism, if there is any within us, it begins to rot and fall away inside, nourished no longer in our souls, but replaced by God's love for us and for everyone. For everyone needs God, whether they know it or not. We are blessed to know that we do, desperately. That, my friends, is the approach. Amen. Hi, it's me again. Now, you all are very gracious to tune in and choose to listen to the Redheaded Preacher podcast, 
We do appreciate it here at St. Peter's United Church of Christ. It's a blessing to be able to bring the word to people we may never meet on earth. We hope that this is a blessing to you. And look forward to next Sunday, October 30th. It will be Reformation Sunday. And we also have a baptism. And if I can get a Bible in time, a new Bible, we will have a, pre- this won't be in this in the podcast, but we'll be presenting a Bible with our one-third grader in Sunday school and baptizing a child, an infant. And so we've got a theme there of children and learning the faith. And also uh, it's Reformation Sunday. So we'll look forward to a, a brief homily because of the fullness of the service that will uh, address and explore those dynamics. So thanks again, and I hope you'll tune in next week whenever you have the opportunity. And God bless you, and God bless your week. Amen. Like what you've heard? Hit subscribe to follow and get updates on our newest additions to The Red-Headed Preacher. We'd love it if you'd give us a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find us online under most social media platforms by typing St. Peter UCC Skokie in your browser. Donations are much needed and very welcomed. You can donate to us by going to paypal.me backslash St. Peter UCC Skokie. This information and more can also be found in the show notes wherever you listen to our podcast. Thank you so much.